Fabulous with Vips and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to Be Fabulous podcast, episode seven. In this episode, we use some examples to bring the five thinking levels from the last episode to life. We'll also talk about the hardest shift, the one from operational thinking to structured thinking, and perhaps why so many people find it so difficult. Finally, we'll get you to reflect on where you are prepared to make a stand and where you are prepared to let it slide. Welcome to Be Fabulous with Vips and Vicky, episode seven. Last week, we introduced the concept of the five thinking levels and what those are, are really important to someone who is aspiring to be a fabulous leader. We took a look at the first level, which is all about being tactical. These are the tasks and activities that we're all very comfortable with. So if we're in firefighting mode, we have our to-do lists, we know we are in tactical mode. It's a very easy, comfortable place for most of us to be in. It's where we get highly rewarded. We have the dopamine hit and we'll feel really, really good. Level two is operational. We know we're in operational mode when we're starting to look beyond the tasks at why we are doing something and we're driven by, by metrics and outcomes. So it's a step up beyond the tasks. Structured looks at the accountabilities across the organization, across the company, to see do they make sense. It's more about the policies that are set up across the whole company to make sure that they are balanced well. And then our fourth level, this goes outside the organization and company. So here we're looking at what is going on in the industry or market. And we call our fourth thinking level systemic. And then our fifth thinking level is, is meta. And you can think of this as, this is our value-based judgment. So this is beyond the industry, beyond companies, but it's based on are we doing the right thing for how we see the world. So we have to make a judgment call based on that. Vips, how did I get that? Did I summarize them okay? Uh, it's a wonderful public service announcement by Vicky <laughs> at, the, uh, at the beginning of uh, episode uh, seven, I think. This is seven or six. This is seven. This is seven. Uh, yeah, no, a beautiful summary. So, I, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, the last episode was a bit heavy and it was kind of conceptual. And so I thought what we'd do today is we'd run some real uh, sort of scenarios, if you like, through these levels to show how they change. So how, you know, and the way I think about it is it, people always um, think something is obvious because they see it through the level they're thinking at. And it turns out it's maybe not so obvious or it's more complicated or that it might actually mean that what you're thinking about doing that you think is right just turns out to be completely wrong at a different level. And I thought it'd be really helpful to do that um, with some real examples. So uh, I thought we could improvise a few of those, Vicky, if you're up for that. Oh, I think that'd be wonderful because the concepts are very, are very deep and hard to wrap your head around. It's hard to know the different ways of how they apply to practical day-to-day -day scenarios. So what would be the first scenario we should kick off with? How about we do one that's sort of more, more focused on the sort of superstar performer community? Maybe we we'll do it that way. One for superstar performer, one for awesome manager, one for top-notch exec as an as a, as a idea. So why don't we take a really easy one, like the idea of communicating beyond the task. Okay, so what, what constitutes good communication 
beyond the task? And what does it mean if you're thinking about communicating beyond the task at a tactical level? Do you want to take a shot? Well, tactically, if you think about your, your world, um, it's often very easy to focus on the task that needs to get done. But you may not think about any communication beyond that. So you could have a tendency either to go dark or communicate unnecessarily about what's going on right now. And both of those are not good. So I would say that's probably how we have to think about communication beyond the task at a tactical level. What's the Goldilocks moment, the right level of communication for people who care about what you're doing, as opposed to thinking, ah, it's just not part of my job. Communication is just not part of my job. Actually, it is. Your task is not there in isolation. It's part of a bigger system. It's there for a reason. It's impacting somebody. You should continually, 30% of your job should be about communicating to those that care about what you do. But tactically, right, so if, you're at pure, if you're thinking tactically, what you're going to probably be thinking, in addition to going dark and unnecessary, is almost, it's inefficient for me to <laughs> talk about anything that isn't the task, because I should be talking about the task, because that means I get more done, which makes me, which makes me a better whatever, better employee, better, better whatever. And that's more likely to, you know, I'll get more scores on whatever metrics they're measuring me on. And I'll get promoted quicker and earn more money and everyone's a winner, right? That's, that's, so, so why should I make my already 40, 50 hour a week worse by doing communication beyond the task and asking for more trouble than it's worth? So, that, that, so I, would, I would add that layer to what you said because I think I, so many people are guilty of that. We see it every day. Yeah, and it, it, it brings to mind not understanding how organizations work and the importance of building relationships and the importance of being known and the importance of having a point of view. And it's often very hard for students coming into the workplace, especially those in fields that are more technical, whether it's finance or R&D or even operations and supply chain and technology. It's often very difficult to understand and grasp the magnitude of relationships relative to your task. It's also, what I've also found is that kind of people that you're talking about when you're when you're in that superstar performer journey and you associate, you know, you associate being successful as mastering your craft. Any kind of knowledge that doesn't seem like it's mastering your craft is kind of somehow bad. <laughs> That's the only word I can use to describe it. Or unnecessary. Well, it's inefficient. It's, it's inefficient. It's not just inefficient though, it's also like irrelevant. It's like I don't care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and those people will Con will, will convince themselves that they're being strategic. Anyway, let's not get sidetracked on that. Let's not get sidetracked on that. So, all right, so let's go up a level then. Take us to operational then. So operational is at the team level. What's it going to take for the team to function op optionally, not optionally, optimally? <laughs> Teams, teams should not be optional first. <laughs> See, yesterday we did an event and you talked about not making typos. And, and today you made a typo and you read it wrong. <laughs> At least I figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at that like, why are teams optional? <laughs> teams, should not, teams should not be optional. Let's make that clear. Well, actually, actually, some people think that teams should be optional. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's what does it take for a team to function optimally? <laughs> and, and so communication at that level is, is very different because you've got to be thinking about the, the needs of the team beyond yourself. 
and each one of them have very different needs. Anytime a team member changes, the research shows that it increases stress by 73%. So the level of communication and time it takes to get to know each other and trust each other and feel safe is all what's going on when we think about communication and getting a team functioning optimally. Hey, I said it right the last time. Yeah, you said it right. I, I'm going to make the same mistake right now because I'm looking at it wrong too. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'll just add to that maybe that um, from an operational point of view, communication beyond the task is good communication because if you're having task-centric conversations at an operational level, then now that's a waste of time because I shouldn't be thinking about that. I should be thinking about how my team is operating. You know, are our, are our metrics for our department or our division or our team appropriately met? Are we, you know, wh whatever they are, whether they're customer retention or satisfaction or, you know, pick your, pick whatever KPIs the world is telling you are as important this week, you know, whatever they are, th those are the things that won't be about the task. They will be operational in nature. So it's quite interesting, right? So at the tactical level, people are thinking that any communication beyond the task is unnecessary. But the people that are deciding whether you get promoted or not are seeing every communication that is about the task as being evidence to say you're not ready to be promoted. I find that quite fascinating. Mm. Um, so that's operational. So I would switch gears and go up to the next level. So, so actually, do you want to take this one? Go for it, structured. Yeah. Read yeah. it correctly this time. <laughs> Makes it sound like we prepared this. So uh, when we think about beyond the team level, we're really thinking about collaboration at the, at the department level. So it's across multiple teams. And it's thinking about doing things over time and making sure things are improving as we think about the evolution of, of the department. And so a good example here is when you think about operating as a as a leadership pod so rather than sitting in offices being very siloed not talking to each other if as a department your leadership team is operating in a in a pod-like structure if you think of a dolphin dolphins have pods i think dolphins have pods right Bits? dolphins absolutely have pods <laughs> so many of our listeners it's, so many there's a number of our listeners that come from a company that fetishizes dolphins so i'm so glad you got that right <laughs> Uh, I don't know why we have the giggles today, but there we go. This is going to be one of our silly ones, guys. I guess it's a deep subject, so silliness is good. Um, so if you truly are able to get that working well, it's a beautiful thing because now you are moving together like a pod of dolphins, you know, in, in harmony with each other, as opposed to in these individual offices, only focusing on your team and competing for each other's resources and not, not, not really worried about the whole. To me, this is a big one, Vips. This is where I often see collaboration broke, break down at a, at a very fundamental level, which means that operationally the teams don't operate well and tactically things get very, very difficult because there's all this unnecessary politics that starts to kick in. This is my number one bug there. Yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and if you think about it, the professional world has been trying to improve quote unquote collaboration, executive collaboration, cross-teaming, pick a word, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that, that, that challenge, this, I think this is why it's so hard, because there's a lot of safety and comfort when you're only at operational and tactical. You're, you're, you're losing control when you're at structured level, because now you've got to take into account a bunch of stuff that you don't know anything about. Like if I'm, you know, if I grew up in, you know, I, if I grew up in finance, okay, and I'm having to now think about things in software development or in marketing, it's like, I don't know that world. 
I mean, you can know academically that they're equally important and where they fit in from a, you know, from an MBA type standpoint, but you, you don't really know what that means. So, so to, to un- you don't even understand the consequences of the decisions that you're making in your own area and how that's going to have wider business consequences elsewhere. So to me, this, this thinking, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the mistake that we make in business a lot, particularly in that sort of when we're thinking about promoting people to directors or VPs or that kind of level, is we tend to do that on the basis of only their tactical and operational thinking. So what actually happens is they're not able to think in a structured way. So what actually happens is is they they kind of get found out. So then they kind of, you know, we've had this conversation before. So then you get the executive that isn't a good leader because they play to not win. I'm sorry, they play to not lose rather than play to win. It's because it's just deeply uncomfortable to be engaging in a bunch of stuff that you have less content power in. And, and that, I think that's why it happens. But I think you're absolutely right. So here, effective communication looks like something completely different. Like now it's not just about the work getting done. Now it's about, are we thinking of things the right way? Are we directionally moving in the correct way? Are we evolving as a business? Are we, you know, should we maybe change the way we think about R&D? Should we think of, change the way we think about our you know, the way we've been thinking about technology as a business driver for our company. So these these now start feeling like, you know, what I call high entropy communications. Um, so they don't, they tend to be more, they tend not to be able to be simple problems to solve. They tend to be complex choices to make with pros and cons rather than, you know, right or wrong answer. And I think that's why you see so few people do it because, Tactically and operationally, it's easy to make right and wrong answers. Structurally, it's a riskier proposition because there's no right or wrong. It's just, you know, you're making a value, you know, not so much a value judgment, but you're making an analysis on the basis of what's optimal um, against a bunch of stuff you don't know because it's more, it's more cross-functional in, air, in, in nature. I think where this really gets exposed is people who think they belong in the C-suite and it's clear they don't belong in the C-suite. That's when I think you really see it. And this one ties to where people's own egos and what they want out of life starts to create a different agenda than the right agenda for the organization. And it's where all the bad politics kicks in. And for me, if we could focus here and nip this in the bud in organizations, then the rest of it becomes beautiful. If you don't get this right, this is where all the, the, the craziness kicks in. And why so, all my, so many organizations operate in that tactical and operational level. It just feels like we're sticking on band-aids the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move up. Systemic. Okay. So systemic is looking at it beyond the organization. So what's going on in the market? What's happening from a industry perspective? So we think of it as communication and what is effective communication at this level. It's being able to think about and understand what's happening in the market, what's happening in the industry, and then be able to share that message internally and externally to be able to understand why are you doing certain things in your organization and why are they important? Where are you investing? Why are you investing? Where are you cutting costs? Why is that important relative to the industry? So it's that external view with an internal focus on what's really going on. Yeah, I think it's probably worthwhile adding that this is where it's not just industry, and economics, it's also social and political. Mm. How are behaviors changing? What's going on in the world? You know, 
how is COVID impacting um, the system that is our industries and our environment, the behaviors of our customers? Well, you know, these are, these are um, you know, you're, you're, you're watching the waves of the world, if you like, and you're trying to figure out which way the waves are going so that you can position appropriately for them. But because they're systemic in nature, effective communication here starts requiring a much wider discourse. I mean, the discourse that's going on right now that we're doing Solidarity Hour for later on after this recording is, you know, it's on, it's, you know, it's on everything to do with racism that's going on in the world right now. And that's, that is, you know, there is, that is a systemic and meta problem. It's going to have all, all, you know, it's, it's very, very complex at many, 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 many levels. And, and uh, th those things are, I mean, that's had a massive impact on so many organizations just in the last two weeks. And that's not the kind of thing that you could have planned for from a tactical operational structured point of view, but it's systemic in nature and it's going to force a recalibration of conversations that are structured, operational and tactical inside, you know, whether it's policies, whether it's recruitment practices and interview practices, whether it's uh, HR policies and processes, I mean, all sorts of stuff. But the point is that systemic dialogue is hard and complex and you're not really in control of it because it's happening around you. It's environmental in nature. Well, just think about it from the perspective of where we're seeing spikes across across the the different industries right now. So. We were chatting earlier before the call that organizations that are focused in on in-home fitness are are spiking because of, of the pandemic. You're seeing it in organizations right now as a result of um, the killings and the riots. Diversity and inclusion trainings and facilitation of conversations are spiking. Buying books like White Fragility are going through the roof. You know, there, there's certain things that are spiking by the very nature of these larger conversations. Now, if you happen to be one of those organizations or somebody in that space at the right time, well, you know, you're in the money with all of that, yeah. but, but it's because of a much bigger conversation and it's a little bit of luck rather than any design. Yeah, that, that's a really powerful point. We, we like, we'd like to think that what we're achieving is a fruit of our own labor, right? And the reality is being in the right place at the right time based on what you have is often a much stronger determinant of whether you are whether you, ex whether you achieve exponential growth, particularly in terms of success and money and so forth. Uh, doesn't mean you don't have to be good. You have to, still have to be good. But, but that's how you, you know, that's how they make billions. It's more about being in the right place at the right time than because, because systemically, the systemics are working for you. And yeah, stock markets are very good at looking at this. This is why, yeah. this is why company valuations seem so high for certain types of companies and not for others. I think we kind of, you know, in the day-to-day -day of work life, people forget that unless that's the industry that they're in um, and for those industries who are in that you know that's 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 what they look for all the time and, and it also makes me think of you know the beauty of foresight being in the restaurant industry has always been a very tough tough world that's you know I love to support chefs and restaurateurs and it's a passion of mine and I love to work with them and it's it's tough margin wise but who could you know could you have predicted a pandemic some would say yes uh, would that be a good industry to be in? Some would say no. <laughs> so there's also the beauty of foresight as to, to some degree, certain industries, you can look ahead 5, 10, 15 years. When we go back to our very first podcast where we talked about the world getting hotter, flatter, and more crowded. And if we use a long-term 50, 100-year basis, you can start to at least 
point yourself in a direction that's going to have more chances of being successful. Yeah. And luck will do the rest. Yeah. All right. So what about uh, what about at the meta? This is at the end of the day. It's all about your values. What do you care about? How does this affect communication? Yeah. So so if you think about meta now you're it's very much internal the way i look at it it's very much internal it's at the end of the day what do you care enough about to take a stand relative to whatever it is okay so so if you if you if you take an example of all right i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna pick on a company for illustration right now um not because i not because i think this is completely accurate assessment of the company but it but it helps to make this point so so Amazon is a great example of this, where it tactically does really, really well. It delivers you whatever packages you want, delivers e you know, delivers on-demand computing services, all sorts, right? Operationally, they run themselves really, really well. They they, you know, I think I think frugality is one of their core values. They 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 operate in a very lean way, very efficient way. And they're structured really well. They've figured out a way to have the right divisions in every way. They've figured out a way to collaborate across and when not to collaborate across so as not to slow down innovation. They've figured that out. But systemically, you know, they were in the they, they were they, they benefited massively from first mover advantage and vision and scale on the basis of just recognizing that the world was moving. We were in the process of building a digital world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you get there early enough and you, you know piss a circle that's big enough, then you're going to grow, right? And that's and they, I'm not that's not to diminish anything that they've achieved, okay? But at a meta level then, the question is, so that's, so that's success, 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 and it's, you know, the world's, I don't know, world's second, first or second most valuable company. Now, at meta level, though, you say to yourself, well, hmm, I'm not sure about their working practices and warehouses, right? I, that, that's not right. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. That's what I would say, okay? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't really make business sense, right? That, that's not a, like, if you're, if you're, so, so this becomes, what are you prepared to take a stand on, okay? And we, we tend to react negatively um, to environments that we think don't match what we think is important in the world, role modeling what's, what's important in the world. But, but, you know, honestly, I like the convenience of Amazon, right? So how many of us use Amazon? Like, you know, the capitalism is supposed to say, you know, if you don't like their values and philosophies and how they operate, just don't buy from them, right? But, but they're so far ahead from a frictionless experience point of view. And if you live in certain parts of the country, it's just the only way you can get next day delivery, okay? And now they're like an essential public service given people still in different stages of lockdown. Um, you, you, then you ask yourself, well, is it right? You know, so that's that's the way that's the way. So effective communication here will be the things that we care about. Yeah. Businesses don't really know what to do with that. Right. Uh, that, they don't know what to do with that. You're seeing it now. Companies are having to engage in political discourse. That for 40 years. HR and talent development departments and companies have been saying it's too legally risky to talk about this stuff. So don't talk about it. Right. And so now suddenly everyone's got to talk about it. And. And so, you know, if you're not, if you're not, because if you're not, you're complicit, right? You're, you're yeah. part of the problem. Yeah. So, totally. so what that then does is so you've got all these people who are engaging in a skill that they've never had before. And so no shit, half the time it's clumsy and horrible. Right. And that's, you know, and it's very easy in this day and age to just like, you know, that person's terrible, 68 thumbs downs, whatever. I mean, 
I mean, say, man, from a leadership point of view, from a, if we take that topic, we've, we've asked, you know, it's the equivalent of asking, you know, eighth graders, right, to speak like university professors, right? I mean, it's, it's a new skill acquisition that they're having to do. And especially if they haven't thought about their own stand and now they're having to very quickly, within a day, make a stand and talk publicly on it and very personally and they haven't thought through it and it's very, very uncomfortable. But if they're not, they're part of the problem. Oh, so what happens? It's very tempting then, right, to, to thumbs up, to share, to, to, to do what everyone else is doing, whatever that is, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, you know that, that, that process works really, really well for positive things and that, that process works really, really bad for negative things. But who gets to decide what's positive and what's negative is meta, right? What, what you decide ultimately drives that. And, and that's kind of where... So effective communication there is something completely different again. That's that, I think that's the first one. Okay, so let's move on to uh, an example for an ulcer manager. And let's focus in on uh, setting goals. So tactically, talk to us about what that looks like. Yeah, I think tactically, it's, these are the things I have to get done. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very discreet. It's, it's, it's actionable. It's, it's achievable. Not, not, I don't just mean in a smart sense. I, I mean, a tactic, if I'm thinking tactically... My goals for this week are to get to, to do the podcast with Vicky, try to win $10 million worth of work and, and see if I can get through the week without upsetting too many people, right? Uh, that, might be, that might be three good goals, okay? Tactically. And, and as a manager, it means thinking about the same things for your team. You know, what is it your team needs to get done over the, the next week? That's very discreet, very actionable. Yeah, yeah. we need yeah. to achieve. Uh, we need to drive X amount of conversions as a team. What are, what's up, what are we trending at? So goals here become much more, um, we need sales to hit X. We need operational efficiencies of Y. We need customer satisfaction of whatever, right? We need MPV score of whatever, okay? That, that, those, those have become goals, but those aren't really tactical level goals because generally no single person is doing all of that, if, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah so it's the operational, yeah. it's the operational goal. And- and a, a lot of organizations are moving to, to having sprints and two-week sprints. And it's like, what are we trying to get to done within two weeks? Yeah, and that, that's a, you know, I think we should do probably a whole podcast episode on that. Because there's, there's an argument to say that while that, that principle, like the agile principles, like, you know, get stuff done, iterate quickly. It's, it really, really, really helps from an optimization in tactical, tactical, really tactical at the expense of operational, okay, it, it actually may have challenges at a systemic point, of, at a systemic level. I think we should do one on that. I've got views on that too. I think All that'd right. be a fascinating one. Next All podcast, right. Vips. Yeah, next podcast. How about that? <laughs> just just okay. make it up. No. Uh, yeah, so then we go to structured. So you should take structured, Vicky. So structured, when you're thinking about goals, you're thinking about if, Teams are focused on these very specific action-oriented goals, conversions, uptime, whatever it might be. Do they actually line up to what the organization needs as a whole? So you could have a team doing really, really good work, but if it's not lining up to where the organization's trying to go and they're working on the wrong things, well, that's, that's absolutely pointless. Yeah. So he keeps an eye on that. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this is where you start thinking about, you know, leadership alignment type of goals, but also, also, I think you, 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 what you get here is, I, I'll tell you what's a great place to look for these. It tends to be in the CEO's annual report for public companies. 
Actually, if you're mm. if you're listed and you look at the CEO's report, right? This is the year, and this is kind of our objectives over the that. That's where that tends to come out, yeah. Or or in kind of like five year goal type things, yeah. That that's kind of where those things tend to come out. They are they are mid to long term indicators of where we need to get to. And the problem with mid to long term goals is they tend to upset people who are thinking tactically because they feel like a pipe dream or they're what does it mean for me? Or, or, well, that's great, but I don't understand what that means for my department or my team or my promotions or whether I should be here or whatever, because it can start feeling like it's a little bit aloof, if you will. Yeah. And then we get to uh, systemic. So this is where you start to ask yourself, are these even the right kinds of goals for where the industry is going? Or are we just, are we just, are we just heading in the wrong direction? Yeah. And you saw that, I mean, you saw that back in the 80s with Kodak and... Yeah, that's and, right. And, and you're seeing it right now, even with what's going on with businesses that aren't fully embracing the e-commerce agenda. I mean, they've been whacked during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out right now which retail companies are going to make it and which ones aren't. Yeah. I can't tell you when any one of them will fail. Yeah. But I could tell you really a high degree of accuracy which ones will fail and yeah. and we can see it um and those those would be kind of systemic this is where you get the innovator problem right where you get so good at your structure operations and tactics that you just can't imagine that anything's going to happen that's going to change the way we used to do it and you see this a lot particularly in family-run businesses yeah? yeah you see this yeah. a lot in kind of organizations that uh it's worked for so long that you've you kind of start convincing yourself you're immune well, we've, we've even seen it with remote working, where a lot of organizations, certainly here in the US, quite surprisingly, have been very resistant to having their workforces work from home, you know, whether they are founder led or family run or, or just have an older leadership team. And now that they've all been forced to do it, and it's, it's working because they've had to make it work, they've had to realize that it's possible. And it's amazing yeah. the results they've seen from it. They've been amazed themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and, and I, th I think um, that this, this systemic one is also kind of interesting because it, it really, uh, so systemic choices, if you like, from a goals point of view that often CEOs have will be things like, how, how do we look at our acquisitions over time? Which, which, which sub-segments of the industry should we play in? Yeah, because of where, where the world is moving, if you like. It's very much reacting to the fact that you know that if you carry on doing what you're going to do, things are not going to get better. That, that's the crux of it. And that, that's kind of where, where systemic goes. And then meta is, again, for goals, it's, I'll tell you where we see meta a lot. Is these are the goals that you really care about, like making time for myself, spending time with the family, feeling whole, mental health, or, you know, all the things we associate with five-year goals for anyone who works with us. Um, you know, this is the stuff that where you're really deciding what's really important to you and what you will choose to make your own causes about. Because that's what goals look like at a meta level. They're, they're causes. And they don't have plans. They are more um, painting a picture of the world they would like to see. You know, so my, you know, my favorite Gandhi quote is, you know, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And to me, that's the most refreshing thing about what's going on in the world right now is we're seeing a younger generation being the change they want to see in the world. And that, that is against the backdrop of high levels of trauma and systemic racism. That is absolutely a positive thing to see a massive, massive group 
of young people who, at the end of the day, are the future of the, of the world, yeah? To see that level of meta choices is, is, is extraordinary. And if you think about that, it's what they feel about COVID and what's that made them think about what's important to them. Then now you have it around racism. I mean, you've had the double whammy. One is looking inward and one is looking outward. We only need a third and the whole world changes completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're already, I mean, the narrative is already going that, you know, unless we do something to create a fairer society, none of this, like, these are all symptoms of an unfair society, right? Now, then, but then you get to, well, uh, you know, one person's fair is someone else's unfair. And, you know, so my point is when you get to this level, everything becomes political legal and choices i mean this is why this is why all organizations are going to have to build the muscle to engage in that narrative because this generation is not going to allow businesses to sit on the sidelines be quiet, yeah and that's that's a beautiful thing that's a yeah. although it's be painful it's a beautiful thing well it's 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 making me think about the u.s and having a a cause and something meaningful that people will fight for like they did with the vietnam war you know, where has there really been anything in, in all these years that have gone by that people have been really, really united on and willing to fight for? You know, we're coming to that level. The other, the other thought that comes to me uh, when you're talking about Gandhi and the goals that we really care about, often we don't know what they are, but we do deep down. And I like to always say that it, the, the universe is always tickling us with a feather. And if we're not paying attention to the feather, then a truck comes along and whacks us over the head. <laughs> and it could be I don't know if you've heard me say that but it could, be, it could it could be it could be illness you know it could be accident it could be addiction you know whatever it might be something happens to write you back into your path so it's much better to watch out for those feathers yeah and you start know, to figure out what's what's true to you than be that miserable and then finally and I think the problem is most people don't do that right correct the what's true to you bit correct because because if you think about it I tell, I tell you, nine times out of 10, where the rubber hits the road, nine times out of 10, is I really care about that, but I'm not prepared to give $1,000 for that. I'm not prepared mm. to give $10,000 for that. Like, if you, if you take that number to 100,000, 200,000, like, everyone's going to find a number by with which, well, I'll tolerate it for that much. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, it's very, very hard to get to, like, genuine meta choices about what you will stand for and what you won't, because... There's normally how much are you prepared to forego in order to stand up for my principles, right? Yeah. And yeah. very, very few people are truly, truly able. And it's not from, it's not, I mean, that's also a systemic problem, a systemic problem of, of how we feed ourselves, how we clothe ourselves, how we, how we survive, you know, put shelter, you know, provide shelter for our families, food, or food on the table. We don't always have the luxury of standing up for the causes that we want to fight for. So, yeah, goal, goal is very complex. And, um, but again, my point is, you see, how, okay, you see how complicated it gets? We started talking about get these 10 things to done next week. And now we're, now we're talking about, oh, God, it gets quite complex, complex when you get to systemic and meta. That's why so few, people, so few people do it. But a fabulous few will. So let's, as quickly as we can, because I know we love going on these different topics, <laughs> let's think about annual budget planning and think about what top-notch execs have to be thinking about. So I'll start and then I'll head off to you. So tactically, you know, you're thinking about 
well how much money do I have to spend what are the specific items I can spend money on and coming up with the budget bottom-up so that's tactically what is it operationally Vips? yeah I think operationally it becomes much more of a oh this is what I got last year let me make sure I'm getting the same let me make sure I'm fighting for what I got last year so I can get I can get more this year also but operationally can I run my department or my team based on the budget that I have so I, th I think it becomes it becomes less about the line items and more about does the overall amount look okay relative to the things I want to do. And here's where it gets subverted a little bit here because well, at least what I find with most managers and executives is there is an aspect of doing it properly, so to speak, and following a process. But there's also a bit of, well, I don't, I'm not really happy if my budget next year is less than this year because my ego wants a bit, bit more money, a bit more control. If I have a bigger budget, that means I can do more things and that must mean I'm more important. There's a little bit of ego that I think gets wrapped up into, into operational thinking about and, and annual budgets too. But more, by and large, I think people, people do it fairly. So then structurally, Vicky. So structurally, it looks like the budget planning that needs to happen across different uh, functions to make sure that it all adds up. You've only got so much money to spend every year. So how's it been allocated across each department? And is it fairly weighted? And giving one department more, so if you assign more money to, to marketing um, because of the weight that marketing has these days, what does that mean that HR or people has to have less? So what is the relative weight across different departments so that it all adds up? And that's sadly what starts to create dissension between leaders because they have different amounts of resources and different numbers and that creates tension because each is brought in to, to achieve something and you can only do that if you've got some money to spend. Yeah, I would say that's what creates executives rather than leaders. But yeah, mm. I, I totally agree with you. And um, the, way, the way to almost think about that, also another way to think about the structure for, for, for this one, is th this is where your success looks like making everyone equally miserable. <laughs> right? I, I have yet to see a department head who's happy and ecstatic with their budget, right? Well, it's a little bit like, are you happy with your salary? You know, yeah. you have people who are happy with totally. their salaries either. Totally. Even those that are overpaid, right? Totally. Especially those that are overpaid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I, I think, you know, structurally, um, you know, budgeting there looks like, can we afford everything that we say we want to do and we need to do, right? It's a, you know, this is the, you know, CFO's reason to exist and why CEOs hate this, that time of the year when you're doing this because it's like, I'm just going to have to go for a round where everyone's going to be miserable because they, they haven't got enough and there's backbiting going on and people trying to score points against each other and what have you. So structurally is when you're doing the best at that level. All right, systemically, Vicky. So systemically, it looks like, all right, so um, if, if the market is booming or we're heading into a recession, where do we want to be investing or where do we want to keep our reserves so that we are making sure that we are keeping track and pace with the market so we don't end up like a Kodak back in the 80s. Are, are we investing at the same levels relative to our competitors? Are we, you know, if everyone else is thinking we're, in, we're about to enter two, three years of depression, then does it make sense that we want to triple salaries on our people next month, right? Mm -hmm. that, that kind of stuff. And what about meta bits? Yeah, meta. Well, I guess uh, this is where you make a judgment call on on what is it that you really care about and how, where are you going to make those priority calls based on what you believe to matter, right? And what you generally find is this is where I think it really matters in an organizational context where your CEO 
is or your founders are, because ultimately they're going to determine what is essentially an arbitrary allocation of resources across the things that they think are most important about, they care most about. And you can data drive as much of that as you like. In the end, someone's going to go home and say, you know what, I still want to spend money on X. And they'll do it. And, and I think that's okay. That's, that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, but it is a meta way of thinking. Okay. So Vips, I have a game for us to end this call. You surprised and... me, Vicky. <laughs> well, we have to give them a challenge each time. <laughs> so last time we looked at last week and this week, let's think about your thinking levels and how do you move yourself forward. So this week we're going to stretch you into meta. So reflect on where are you prepared to make a stand? Where are you prepared to show your voice? Where are you prepared to stand up for something that you truly believe in? That's your challenge. That is an awesome challenge. I hope you guys all found this one a little bit more practical. Certainly we tried to lighten this one because the last one felt a bit heavy even for us recording it. Um, but it hopefully it brings some color to how you can think about these five levels in your day-to-day -day, day -day beat. Um, but think about some of the more thorny issues that we are working through right now. You know, in, your, in our organizations, in our teams, in our companies, in our communities. And then if you apply them, just spend 10 minutes on each of those levels and, and you'll be astonished how much more balanced you are in terms of how you go about trying to then take action against those and in a way that will ultimately work better. So that's my hope and thought and why fabulous people try to think and operate at five levels. I think with that, Vicky, I think that's a wrap. Yeah. So guys, as you think about these different levels, try and move yourself from thinking day to day and day to day to short term, short term to midterm, and then start to think beyond three to six months and start looking out a year to two years to five years. That's where the magic comes in. So stretch yourselves, be fabulous, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>